Hello. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the biggest, most important podcast that is recorded in our car. It's beautiful. Actually, it's not a very beautiful day at all. It's kind of dreary and cloudy, and but it's a beautiful day because why? Because we just came from the gun shop. <laughs> There's nothing better than coming from the gun shop. And we're looking at some of the guns there, and I, I dropped off a couple of, of guns to consign because I'm just cleaning out the old trying to clean out the old thing, and I got a really big, huge credit there now, and, and I've been thinking about making a, a gun purchase. I've been thinking about it. This is one I've been considering in my mind for a while because I do have a specific need in our arsenal that I don't really truly have a gun that meets. And so while she was talking to a, uh, one of the salesmen, whether we're a friend, I just used the opportunity to go over and, and order the gun. I just finally decided to do it. And I've been thinking about it on the way down and I've been thinking about it all week. And so I come over there to where the people are and she's, the wife is talking to a guy and he's showing her the, um, a 6.5 Creedmoor gun. No, it was a 224. 224. It was a 224. 224 and one ton. Heaviest rifle. Oh my gosh, that thing was. It's an AR style. That thing was an AR style gun. My gosh, it weighed about 45 pounds. I mean, not really, but. I'm pretty sure it was lead lined. Oh my gosh, that is the single heaviest gun. I'm like, what in the world? Now, first of all, 224. This is a, a new round. And uh, they didn't even have any of them. They got the gun to sell, but they don't even have any at the gun store yet. And what fun would that be? I mean, yeah, Come you go out and buy this, you spend this twelve hundred fifty bucks or whatever it was to buy this lead lined gun that weighs seventeen pounds. I, I don't know what it weighs, but this thing was a ton. I bet it was every bit of ten pounds. Yeah. And this was not anything on it, no optics, no any kind. It didn't even have, have uh, iron sights on it. Okay. And. So you got this ridiculous gun. And she's sitting there talking, well, I'm on things for sure. The last thing we need to do, and I'm paraphrasing here, is pick up another gun with a different caliber yep. of what we already stock. I think the quote was, it had better be a pretty special caliber if it if it wants to be a new caliber in our household. I mean, we're standing there. She's standing there right next to a Barrett uh, 50 BMG that they got, a used one, 5500 bucks. Really nice-looking gun, beautiful scope on it, 5500 bucks for a 50 caliber BMG. And, you know, in Missouri, where we don't have grizzly bear <laughs> and we don't have moose, and we don't have a lot of 800-yard shots. And the bison would be, well, the people who are raising the bison captive would be pretty annoyed if you started picking them off. As would the National Park Service. Yeah. Not that we have any here, but we have not too far away in the national parks. And, you know, that that's not approved of. So, yeah, no real reason to have a BMG. So we're talking, and I'm just sitting here going, okay, yeah, now I get to tell her I've just bought a gun with a caliber that we don't stock. So, yay, good good timing. <laughs> We've had a rule for a while to try and limit calibers. We do. We still have a rule. Because that is limits how much ammo we need to 
stock back, and we have lots of ammo, guys. We do we have, have lots more of ammo. Than enough. But there are times when you need to make exceptions. Now, we have written in the past, we've talked about in the past, how we are really huge believers, at least I am, in stocking ammo deep. And I think she at least has, uh, believes it to the point of not I've, going I've to fight over tolerance it. for the notion. Tolerant, yeah. Largely because our ammo is worth more than what we paid for it right now. <laughs> and that, that helps. And ammunition is something that you can, if you, as long as you store it away the way, you know, the way that uh, it needs to be stored, where you have it in basically airtight containers, you know, it's perfect. It'll last our lifetimes, certainly. You know, 50 years is fine, you know. I won't make it. It's already more lasted years. more than our lifetime. Some of it is. Yeah, some of it was before World we, War II military yeah, surplus. Some of it was before I was born. So, you know, there you go. Um, so, anyway, long story short, again, we, um, I bought a gun. But I bought a gun that I didn't previously stock ammo for, a 308. Uh, just to dispel any rumors, I, I bought a entry level. Although it's not the entryest, entryest level, but about an entry level uh, AR-15, or I'm sorry, AR-10 type rifle. It's not really an AR-10. AR-10, for those of you who don't know what AR stands for, a lot of people think it stands for assault rifle. A lot of people who aren't listening to this podcast, because you all probably know better, but a lot of people, it's an assault rifle. Assault rifle 15. No, it stands for Armalite rifle. Armalite is a brand name. Armalite Rifle 15. And it was based off of, eh, I'm not going to go into the long history, but there was also the AR-10, which is a 308 caliber version of the AR-15. It's basically a big brother. It's the same gun, pretty much, but it's basically the big brother. Now, here's the the thing with the, with the, uh, AR-10, quote-unquote, clones is, they're quite a bit different than the AR-15. You can build an AR-10, an actual clone of a Arbolite Rifle 10, and Paranoid Prepper has done that. And that's, you know, he is he's a guy who's a big believer in the AR-10 platform. It has a lot more stopping power than an AR-15 does with a 223 5.56 round. It has a lot more stopping power. For some situations, that may or may not be important. What I'm planning on using this gun for is very important. And I've been looking at toying with the idea of either getting a Dragonov, because we, we have um, Mosins, all right? And I have plenty <laughs> of Comblock military surplus Mosin rounds. I have... What's the word? A lot. A generous supply. A lifetime supply, even if I shoot a lot, of that round. That round is virtually the same as a .30-06-308, performance-wise. I mean, they're right in the same ballpark. They're almost exactly the same. But it's a 762 by 54 r for rimmed, not Russian. People say it's a Russian, but so it has a rim. And 
it's an old round. It's the oldest military round still still used today. That was, I mean, it's from the 1800s, but they still use it today. They have virtually the same performance as a 308. I have a ton of those. So I've been looking at like a Veeper or a uh, Dragunov or a, the basically the Russian sniper rifle, semi-automatic sniper rifle version of the gun. But they're not generally available in my part of the country. None of the local stores get them. I could order them in, but then they're just nearly impossible to get parts for. And, and they're an A... K-type design, whereas the AR-10 clones or derivatives are an a, is an Armalite-type design. They're a good design, but the kicker has always been this for me. And this is part of knowing your guns and knowing your ammunition and knowing what you have. I have a ton, not literally, but a lot of Comblock AR... I'm sorry, most in rounds, the 7.62 by 54R. But those rounds I bought for Mosins. And those rounds are much better used in a Mosin as opposed to like a Veeper, which is the sniper rifle, the semi-automatic version, because they are corrosive primed rounds. Now, what that means is the, the primer is made out of, out of something that has salts that will attack. <coughs> Excuse me. That will attack the metal. If not thoroughly and properly cleaned right after you shoot it. Okay. So you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I have a ton of those rounds. They were dirt cheap. But they're corrosive, and they're also either steel core or they're they're full metal jacket. They're steel core. They're not hollow points. They're not expanding rounds. Therefore, they're illegal to hunt with. Anywhere you go. You don't want to just send the round through the big game. You want to bring the big game down. Right. The uh, Geneva Convention from way back when banned the use of hollow point ammunition. So any country that is a signature of the Geneva Convention, which is most countries, do not use hollow point ammunition. They use solid core ammunition, steel point, uh, hollow points, uh, whatever, you know. That's fine for war, and it's great for plinking, but for actual hunting, useless. So, even though I have this huge collection of the 7.62 by 54R, I know the ammo. I bought it for plinking with Mosins. I bought it for if the stuff hits the fans, those, those Mosins that I have can be passed out amongst friends and collaborators. Oh, that word, collaborators. For self-protection, right? The deal is... It's useless for hunting. I do have some hunting rounds for the 7.62 by 54 for the Mosins. I do have some, but I don't have a huge amount of them. I probably have 100 to 150 hunting rounds, somewhere in that range. 
because that's 100 to 150 deer. Hey, seriously, that's plenty. I come back to the, well, yes, but why wouldn't you still want to? I mean, you could clean the gun, right? You could still use the corrosive ammo for plinking and stuff and clean the gun, right? Yes, you can. And those guns have steel, uh, have stainless steel lined barrels. But when you get into a gas operated system, it becomes much, much more difficult to clean the salts of corrosive ammo out of that gun. Because they get blown into every tiny little nook and right. crevice. Of the gas impingement, the gas, well, the gas system. Yeah. So you have to immediately after you shoot it, disassemble that gun and clean the living snot out of it. I mean, it's a lot of work. And this is what one of the things that always stopped me from getting those is, yeah, I could do that, but then I'm going to have to, I'm probably going to want to buy uh, non-corrosive ammo to shoot in. And I'm like, well, then what's the point? That kind of, if I'm going to buy non-corrosive ammo, it's going to cost me the same as like a 308 round. So there's no real advantage. And for years, I've been putting off buying one of those because I don't really want to have a gun that I have to be that careful with just to go out and play with. The Mosins, not a problem. You have one tube. And that's really all you need to worry about because everything's getting blown downstream. It's getting blown out the barrel. Yeah, you have to clean the bolt, but that's very easy to do. Most of the bolts are dead easy to clean. And the barrels, heck, you can just take a take a bottle of water, dump it down the barrel, and you washed 80 90% out. What I like to do, if, if you're shooting corrosive ammo and I shoot corrosive ammo, no big deal. In a Mosin, bolt action gun, nothing to it. I just take the gun, I shoot it, and then I drop just the last two or three rounds, I drop in normal non-corrosive rounds. Blow and that blows out 98% of it, all the salt that's in there because it just blows. I mean, when you shoot around, it blows the stuff out. And then I just take a standard uh, Hoppies, the number nine, or hop, Hops number nine, however you pronounce the stupid word, number nine. It's the stuff that, that Spice, she puts behind her ears for perfume. Because <laughs> she knows I like I the smell. It. I like the smell of gun cleaning solution <laughs> in the morning. That's an attractive smell to me. You like that smell? No, but you do, so there, there we, we go. Are. So anyway, I get that stuff out. I give it a good brushing. No problems. Most of it's clean. But again, if I had that... That uh, gas block and all the, the cylinders and the piston of the piston and all that, you know, have to take all that stuff apart. You know, that becomes a half hour cleaning project. Just and, and if you miss anything, you're going to corrode the gun. And that's always been a stopping block to me. So this is why this is the thought processes I get went through before I decided. Yeah, well, the 308s. I'm not going to buy that many rounds because I'm going to buy this gun for hunting. I'll buy, you know. Uh, yeah, I'll buy some some uh, rounds to get, you know, probably just regular old cheap, whatever I can get cheap rounds to to shoot through it. But I'm not going to, this is not going to be a plinking gun. Uh, it's not really that pleasant of a gun to shoot for, to start with. 
But this gun is going to be a specific person. This this is going to be a hunting gun. This is a coyote gun. This is a varmint gun. This is a hog gun. I hope to actually one of these days go on a hog hunt or two. We don't really have them in this part of the country. I have to go south. That's one of my goals is to go hog hunting. And Besides, and if something up. bad does happen in this part of the country, we're probably going to start having feral hog problems. Yes. Those things tear stuff up, and you need to make them into bacon. And you need a big round to stop one of those things. You can do it with a two twenty three. It can work. But it's two twenty three is just not a round that I really want to go hunting with for virtually anything. Hogs are mean. You don't want to just get them mad. Then they right. come in herds. Which reminds me, that's another gun I really probably am I'm going to take off to the store. I've got a two twenty three bolt-action gun. That's probably going to... That's probably going off to, to say, oh, I, I never use it. I bought it because I thought, you know, hey, 223, I got the cheap rounds. I'll just shoot it through there and have all of all fun practicing with the bolt action. I never shoot it. So there's that. Um, kind of my point isn't, you know, why I would want to buy an AR-10 or equivalent. I say equivalent because unlike most ARs, the, the parts on these things are not interchangeable. You can't just pull the top off of a DPMS and put it on a Delton and have it work. It will not work. But the only things that are interchangeable are the magazines. And, you know, some of the other parts. Maybe some of the trigger groups and stuff like that, but it depends on the gun. My point isn't why I needed a 308. My point is... I had to really stop and consider adding another round to our preps. And I mean, I had to, because this is not something we do. Now, we have two, we have two types of, of ammunition in our house. We have prepper slash practice ammunition. And then we have toy ammunition. I have some guns that are just not prepping guns <laughs> they're just they're, they're useless for prepping the negant revolvers that yes. i have i love them dearly but they're useless for prepping they're difficult to shoot they're old they're cranky inaccurate inaccurate uh the inaccurately largely becomes because the trigger pulls about about the the weight of tractor pull a tr- yeah <laughs> Exactly. It's just ridiculous. She could, she cannot pull the trigger on one of those guns without the hammer being back. Um, she can't do it. Her, her, she does not have the finger strength. And she's a strong woman. And me, I can do it, but how accurate do you think I'm going to be holding it on target? Where you're going, err, yank, yank, yank. So we have, we have rounds for that. I've got some, some, um, 32 ACP for, for a, a, a ro- random revolver. It's not prepping ammunition, so I don't count it. So our prepping ammunition, we pretty much run in certain groups. We have some twenty-two. We have 9mm. We have a lot of 9mm. Pretty much every handgun we own is either 9mm or it's 357-38 for the revolvers. One or the other. And in and one case, 22s. both. Yeah, I got one that shoots both, which is pretty cool. And uh, it has a convertible cylinder. 
shoot 9mm and or 38 special 357. So that's cool. But that's enough handgun calibers for... But that's enough handgun calibers. Stacking deep. And rifle calibers, we're pretty much limited to 223. And 7.62 by 39, which is the AK cal- caliber. I have AKs. I love AKs. I'm an AK guy. Yuck. I've got a couple of them. All for him, none for me. Right, she doesn't like them. I've also got a perfectly legitimate bolt-action 762 by 39 gun for deer hunting. And that'll still probably be my primary deer hunting gun because it's good to out to 150 yards. And that's your longest line of sight in hill country anyway. The place doesn't have anything more than 150 yards, and that's where I hunt. So, you know... This is how what we do when we talk about what calibers we're going to do. We have not only restricting the calendars, but figure out where we need to be. Missions. Missions. We don't just have, oh, I've always wanted to have a forty-four. Well, that's fine, but that's a toy. We don't care about the caliber because we're not stocking any ammunition for it. People, please do not rely on prepper fiction for your idea of what your missions need to be. No. Try and think in a more realistic way. They're trying to entertain you, not portray realistic scenarios. I think some people really believe that. Uh, I suspect some people do, but let's not go there. No. Um, (laughs) Let's not be that guy. Like My sister, her husband, the man of the house, always wanted, when they came out with those 50 caliber handguns, he always wanted one of those things. That's cool. He had the money. He bought it. Sure. That's cool. He bought a case, not a case, but a couple boxes of the rounds. Well, that's cool. Could the thing almost is make this, a car payment with yeah, it. The thing so, is like, you know. it's like picking up a gun from the battleship Missouri to hold it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ridiculous gun. But it's fine because it's his toy. Sure. And he can afford it. And that's good. But some people have this thing where they consider every gun they own to be a prep. And I I, I want to discourage people from thinking that because unless you have a prepper's amount of ammunition for the gun, it's not a prep. It's a toy. You need to have a prepper's amount of ammunition for the gun. (coughs) And, sorry, and my version of how much is a prepper's amount of ammunition and your version, are maybe it'll be different. I, I, I have a much if higher limit. but bar is higher than your bar, But mostly. I think it's important to have a bar of some place and have a reasonable, thought-out um, plan for reaching that and maintaining that. I hate this intersection. This is the most dangerous place. Every time we come, we're doing a podcast, we come through here. It's like one of the most dangerous, dang on places you've ever seen. We have people dodging into the other lane for a police officer who's pulled over. Man, there's people. People dodging because somebody almost people. hit them in the face, waving their hand. Anyway, this is just a horribly designed road, state of Missouri. That's how you get police officers killed by cars. Having a road like this and and 
because he's standing out there half in the road because there's no other place to be. Well, there's oncoming traffic at 60 miles an hour, and you have to dodge around them. It's just horrible. Anyway, pressing right, that was my one digression for the for the podcast. And it was a lousy one, too. <laughs> the point I'm trying to drive home is pick certain calibers. I don't care which ones they are. Whatever you feel good. If it's 45 ACP, it's 45 ACP. If you're a 1911 person, that's great. But concentrate on 45 ACP. If it's 38, 357, that's fine. Concentrate on 30. Don't be buying a bunch of 44s unless you're, you know, don't be buying a bunch of other calibers that you're not going to be stocking. In the unlikely event that you need a weapon as a prep for more than a single night home invasion type of scenario, why would you only want a box of ammo with it? If you're going to need it at all, you're probably going to want to have plenty of ammo with it. And you're probably going to want to have ammo you can trade for or buy. The other side of this, too, is ammo gets hard to find after people do stupid things like shoot up a school. Abhorrent, terrible stuff. But ammo gets hard to find. After Sandy Hook, you couldn't buy a round of ammo for a year in any popular calendar. For a year. So you need to... A gun does you no good if you don't shoot it. You don't shoot a gun, you can't shoot a gun. We got a whole different conversation that we have. I had this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who did two tours in the sandbox. He said, people do not know. They do not understand what it is like to have to point a gun at another human being who is shooting back at you. You just don't understand. You I don't, don't know. get I it. I don't want to know. I don't know. But you would need to, if you want to have any chance at all, you need to have that gun be a part of you. And the only way to do that is to practice. I've never been shot at, but I have studied psychology. And in that sort of situation, most of your bandwidth is focused on the fact that somebody is shooting a gun at you. You don't have a lot left over for higher thought, so you better have made the tasks you need to do automatic. Right. And standing there shooting at a range at paper targets that are not shooting back at you is nothing like being in a real-life combat situation. One I've never been in, and I don't know how I would react. I don't know how free... I don't know. I don't want to be in a real-life combat situation, but here's one thing I do know. The first step of being able to effectively use a gun is to have the use of that gun be second nature. So that is off your plate because your mind is so caught up with that. That needs to be the unautomatic part. You can't not be, you know, trying to do all this other stuff and then figuring out, well, how does this gun really work? Is it get the magazine in, get the chamber racked, get the safety off, get pointed at your target before you put your finger on the trigger. All that's got to be. It's got to be something you don't have to think about. You know, back in the I'm a historian. Back in the Civil War, they would find rifles of guys who'd been killed with six or seven bullets loaded in them. They just kept loading, so they wouldn't have to. They would be seen to be doing something without actually having to fire at another human being. Or they just yeah, it's just a. 
it's common. Uh, the the friend of mine who I was talking to was talking about, you know, he had guys in his in his outfit, good friends of his, you know, guys he's known, who would just, you know, first time they're in a actual combat situation where people are firing back, just freeze, just absolutely freeze. And when you've got somebody shooting at you, and when you're trying to, you know, keep yourself together and the people around you together. You know, you don't have time to go over there and put your shoulder around him and say, hey, bud, you know, we need to get this. You know, there's no time for that. If he, if everybody lives or if he lives, you know, you can maybe deal with it later. Now, this isn't for me. This is from a combat vet, veteran friend of mine who did two tours in the sandbox. Okay. And he doesn't really talk about what, you know, went on. But we just this came up in conversation and he's just like, you just don't know. Until you've done it, you don't know. And you can have all the training in the world, but, you know, until you've been there, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, so part of part of what I'm saying is, you know, some of the stuff has to be automatic. Train the stuff you can train. Train the stuff you can train. And make sure in your prepping that you have enough back stock of ammunition to not have to stop training because you can't get ammo. That's part of why I have a ton of ammo. If I if they made ammo impossible to buy, I could still go shooting for Besides, years and years. Besides, we could still years. go terrorize the targets when there are when it was hard to buy a certain caliber. I, I all I want to do is go to a range and shoot empty soda bottles and make them pee water out the side. You know, that that's what I really want to be shooting. But we could do that, even though we couldn't buy replacement ammo at that time. That's right. Because we limit calibers. So I'm going to link into this uh, little article that I'm writing with this, going back to the, even though I really don't want to spend the money. Even though I really don't, I had a job that I needed to get done with a gun that I didn't know. And I went ahead and made the decision after lots and lots and lots of careful thought to go ahead and expand the calibers that we keep because I know this is a caliber I'm not going to buy thousands of rounds for. This is going to be used specifically for hunting and I just don't need as many things. I'll have an, I'll have some, I will buy some cheap full metal jacket rounds to get the gun used to it. But, you know, this is not going to be a, it's not going to be a gun that's going to be shot thousands of rounds a year. So that, that was kind of one of my decisions. Now, if I'm going to buy another handgun for some reason, I want another handgun. It's going to be a nine millimeter because that's what we stock. Or a 358. Or 357. 357. 357 slash 38. Uh, we mostly buy 357s and shoot them with 38 rounds because they're cheaper. And, you know, price is a price is a thing. Price is a real thing. That's one of the reasons I chose 9mm because I knew how much we'd be shooting it. And, frankly, you know, when you're shooting a lot of rounds, price becomes a problem. Price becomes an issue. That's why a lot of people love 22 because it's cheap to shoot. I don't have a problem with that. For practice ammunition, it's fine. But I just got rid of... Today, I just got rid of an SR-22, which is a, a, uh, a 22 that's cheap to shoot. Why? Because it really didn't 
get the job done that I wanted to get done, which is, you know, I was, it just wasn't. So and it wasn't choice. enough fun to keep it just for fun. Right. So there we are. I hope what we've done is um, make sense. And uh, we'll catch you next time.